From the University of Texas at Austin, KUT Radio, this is In Black America. Well, you know, it's really funny. Well, when I was running in 1978 for Barbara's seat when she had decided to retire, I campaigned on the fact that I was not a Barbara Jordan, that uh, I was different, I was my own person, and that uh, while I realized that she made her niche in history, uh, I wanted to make my own. I did not want to uh, go to Congress in the shadow of Barbara Jordan. And, you know, I was not walking in her footsteps, I was not following in her shadow, I was not trying to write the same page in history that she wrote. You know, I think that that's counterproductive, as a matter of fact. It's nebulous, to say the least. But what I wanted to do was to, to establish my own identity. The people who went to the polls to vote for me, I think, knew the difference between Barbara Jordan and myself and voted for me because I was who I was, or I am who I am. The irony of that, though, is, uh, or rather the contradiction in a sense, is that when I got to Congress, I felt more of the pressure to be more like Barbara Jordan uh, than I did when I, was, when I had the desire to go and when I was running for the seat. Primarily because most of the, my colleagues expected me to be more like Barbara Jordan. Uh, she had established the, the, the seat as being one uh, with a certain aura that uh, that one could not deny and you know generally speaking uh, I, I was pleased that I was able to succeed her. The late Honorable George T. Mickey Leland, former U.S. Representative from the 18th Congressional District of Houston, Texas and former chairman of the House Hunger Committee. On August 7, 1989, Texas Congressman Leland and his delegation that included eight other Americans and seven Ethiopians were in Africa on a famine relief mission to a refugee camp near the Sudanese border when their plane crashed nose first into a mountainside 30 miles away from their destination, killing all 16 aboard. Some 300 U.S. government personnel, 39 military aircraft, and a contingent of Ethiopian rescuers covered some 100,000 miles searching for the ill-fated plane. Six days later, on August 13, 1989, a U.S. helicopter spotted the wreckage. Investigators stated that poor judgment by the pilot, coupled with bad weather, were the blame for the ill-fated crash. Today, there are a number of buildings, fellowship, government programs, and initiatives named in Leland's honor, including the federal building in downtown Houston, Texas. I'm John L. Hansen, Jr., and welcome to another edition of In Black America. On this week's program, a tribute to the late George T. Mickey Leland, in black America. In the State House of Representatives, you're one amongst 150, and probably you're, if you're black, as I am, you, you are even more outstanding in terms of uh, your personality and your ability to relate to different people because everybody knows you, everybody knows you all on a personal basis. In Washington and in Congress, while a lot of people know me, a lot of my colleagues know me, it's rather difficult to, to develop the kind of input and the kind of experience that will give you influence in the Congress as compared or as contrasted with the state legislature uh, as one would hope or one would want in a short period of time. And so it takes a long time to really develop the kind of influence that one would would want in, in the Congress because you're one amongst 435 people. And uh, there, there's such a 
variety of uh, a, such a greater variety of interest in the Congress as opposed to the state legislature. Uh, state issues are pretty narrowly defined as opposed to national issues or international issues that that one has to deal with as a member of Congress. For all of George T. Mickey Leland's adult life, he epitomized the role of a public servant. He championed the causes that helped make life better for the hopeless, helpless, and homeless. It was that concern that brought him and his party of 15 to their tragic death in August of 1989. During his political career, he urged the powerful to take up the mantle with him. Leland's colleagues, friends, and alma mater have continued to carry on his legacy. Leland served six terms in the U.S. House of Representatives and six years in the Texas State Legislature before running for the late Barbara Jordan's 18th Congressional District seat in 1978. Born George Thomas Mickey Leland on November 27, 1944 in Lubbock, Texas, he grew up in Houston's impoverished Fifth Ward. In 1970, he graduated from Texas Southern University School of Pharmacy, Leland served as chairman of the Congressional Black Caucus in 1985 and 1986. Also, he served on the House Subcommittee on Telecommunications for six years. In October of 1981, In Black America traveled to Houston, Texas, to speak with the insightful politician. In the tribute to Leland, we present a rebroadcast of that conversation. Let me just remind you, my dear brothers and sisters, however, there's one people that we have forgot to mention today, and lest I be remiss in my responsibility, I must give you who they are. There are over 2,000 Haitian people in the United States today in jail. All right. There are hundreds of thousand Haitian refugees in southern Florida and in New York, and some even in Houston, Texas. The United States government when they land on these shores, rather than saying we welcome you with open arms and an open heart, they arrest them and send them back in the waters to go back to, to Haiti to be tortured and killed and their families intimidated. The Honorable Mickey Leland is a member of the United States House of Representatives representing District 18, Houston, Texas. From 1972 until January 1978, Congressman Leland was a member of the Texas legislature. As a member of the Texas Congress, Mickey Leland served as a delegate to the National Democratic Convention in 1972, and in 1976, he was elected to the Democratic National Committee by the Texas State Convention. Congressman Leland is the only black in Congress from the southwestern United States. Congressman Leland, who replaced the retired Congresswoman Barbara Jordan, is a member of the Energy and Commerce Committee, the Post Office and Civil Service Committee, the District of Columbia Committee, and the Subcommittee on Census and Population. In 1978, his freshman year in Congress, Mickey Leland was elected by his freshman class to represent them in the WIP organization for the 96th Congress. Congressman Leland was one of only two freshman members of the 96th Congress to chair a subcommittee. In 1972, the same year he was first elected to the Texas House, Mickey served as a delegate to the National Democratic Convention in Miami. In 1976, he was elected to the Democratic National Committee by the Texas State Convention. 
who was re-elected to a second term on the Democratic National Committee in June of 1980, and also served as a delegate to the Democratic National Convention in New York. As a state representative, Mickey served on the powerful House Appropriation Committee. He was the first black ever to serve on the Conference Committee on Appropriation and the first black ever to serve on the Legislative Budget Board, considered by many to be the most powerful of all state government entities. Congressman Leland, why did you decide on politics? Well, for a long time in my adult life, I've been committed to uh, helping uh, the little people of our society, particularly blacks and ethnic minorities. I know that uh, the historical denial of them participating in this society as equal citizens has been a tremendous burden on this country in terms of its responsibility. And some of us, those of us who belong to the, the ethnic minority classified group of people of this country, have chosen to commit our lives to, to uh, exercising responsibility of uh, that commitment uh, to ourselves. And so that's basically how I got involved with that, that commitment. I found that politics, not necessarily in the conventional sense, but being involved in the political arena is uh, a resource for doing things to achieve a level of, uh, of success for producing that equality that I alluded to and that justice. And so I use uh, the political arena as a forum uh, to articulate uh, the needs and the solutions to the problems of uh, the people who I, I love the most. Who are the constituents of the 18th Congressional District here in Houston? Well, I have a broad-based constituency uh, in the 18th Congressional District here in Houston. We go from the very rich to the very poor in the community. My district is about 40% black, about 30% Chicano, and the rest is white. So you see that it's also varied in, in terms of uh, ethnic classification. And I tend to believe that because of my universal concept of uh, fighting for the human rights of all people, that, uh, that I represent uh, that cross-section of people very well, not from the standpoint that I've made uh, such political successes that are legislative, uh, uh, credible, measures that can be judged as being uh, as as being the 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 qualitative well not qualitative but rather the the quantitative quantum leap made by a successful member of congress but rather a person who is is involved and understands that the struggle for human rights for all people is one that will not be won in this lifetime that 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 I will have but rather uh, I make my mark by doing the things that are necessary to establish myself for a time to come. You replaced Barbara Jordan in Congress in the House. Did you yourself feel any added pressures or did other members of Congress or your constituency here in Houston put added pressures on you to be somewhat of a male Barbara Jordan? Well, you know, it's really funny. Well, when I was running in 1978 for Barbara's seat when she had decided to retire, I campaigned on the fact that I was not a Barbara Jordan, that uh, I was different, I was my own person, and that uh, while I realized that she made her niche in history, uh, I wanted to make my own. I did not want to uh, go to Congress in the shadow of Barbara Jordan. 
And, you know, I was not walking in her footsteps. I was not following in her shadow. I was not trying to write the same page in history that she wrote. Uh, you know, I think that that's counterproductive, as a matter of fact. It's nebulous, to say the least. But what I wanted to do was to, uh, to establish my own identity. The people who went to the polls to vote for me, I think, knew the difference between Barbara Jordan and myself and voted for me because I was who I was or I am who I am. The irony of that, though, is, uh, or rather the contradiction in a sense, is that when I got to Congress, I felt more of the pressure to be more like Barbara Jordan uh, than I did when I, was, when I had the desire to go and when I was running uh, for the seat, primarily because most of the, my colleagues expected uh, me to be more like Barbara Jordan. Uh, she had established the, the, the seat as being one uh, with a certain aura that uh, that one could not deny, and you know, generally speaking, uh, I I was pleased that I was able to succeed her, but at the same time, I felt the the pressure to to be more like her, and yet uh, soon thereafter, when I got really involved and really experienced, uh, after a few months being there, I realized that I was still Mickey Leland and that uh, I didn't have to yield to that pressure from my colleagues to be uh, like her. And very soon thereafter, I, I must say, people stopped looking at me as being the successor to Barbara Jordan, but rather uh, as Mickey Leland, uh, his own pers person and a new kind of member of Congress uh, coming to represent the 18th Congressional District. You were a member of the Texas House before going to Congress. Could you give us an example of the changes from writing state laws versus writing laws that are going to affect the whole country? Well, you're very prominent in the State House of Representatives because you're one amongst 150. And probably you're, if you're black, uh, as I am, you, you are even more outstanding uh, in terms of uh, your personality and your ability to relate to different people because everybody knows you, everybody knows you all on a personal basis. In Washington and in Congress, while a lot of people know me, a lot, a lot of my colleagues know me, it's rather difficult to, to develop the kind of input and the kind of experience that will give you influence in the Congress as compared or as contrasted with the state legislature uh, as one would hope or one would want in a short period of time. And so it takes a long time to really develop the kind of influence that one would would want in, in the Congress because you're one amongst 435 people. And uh, there, there's such a variety of, uh, a gr such a greater variety of interest in the Congress as opposed to the state legislature. Uh, state issues are pretty narrowly defined as opposed to national issues or international issues that, that one has to deal with uh, as a member of Congress. I don't think that I feel any differently about the process itself. I have certain criticisms, of course, uh, constructive criticisms for, for both. But I think that I, it's not a matter of like, but I, I think that, uh, that I enjoy the, the privilege of, of being in Congress and serving in the same vein that I, that I went to the legislature for. So in that way, it's, it's just a different kind of experience. However, uh, my six years in the state legislature gave me incredible 
an invaluable experience to, to deal in the realm of uh, the body politic of the United States Congress. Is there any more added pressure as being a black politician than being a white politician or being a black congressman versus being a white congressman? Well, I've never been a white congressman or a white politician, so it's rather difficult to compare. I would suggest to you that we have a greater responsibility, given that uh, we're still, as black people, at the bottom rung of the ladder, and given that, uh, that you know, we still find racism rather rampant uh, uh, in this country. We have to fight the burden of being responsible to take care of the, uh, the interests of black people uh, in this country. Uh, but at the same time, we, we also have to be credible legislators uh, without the interest of black people necessarily, but rather the interest of the universal interest of the citizenry of this country. And even when you talk about the realm of human rights, and usually blacks are more committed to that realm universally, uh, we have a greater burden internationally. And so it's rather difficult and frustrating. And most of us are idealistic. And you must understand, too, that in the history of this country, there have only been 50 members of the United States Congress. Today, there are only 18. So we do have a tremendous burden to try to represent the interests of the uh, 26 to 30 million black people in this country. Where does the power lie, on the local, state, or federal level, as far as black people are concerned, as far as getting a niche, getting some political clout? I don't think that you can really differentiate between the levels of power in this country. I think that uh, the real ball game for black people in this country is to be involved everywhere and to be totally involved in what it is that they're doing, whether you're in the state legislature, city council, whether you're a county commissioner, whether you're a member of Congress or otherwise. Uh, you must collectively work together to, to develop communications networks and, and that kind of thing in order that we can know what one level of government is doing to the other for that matter, and uh, how it is that we can commonly work together to affect some real change on behalf of our constituents. Are you a member of any congressional committees? Oh, sure. I'm a member of the Energy and Commerce Committee. I'm a member of the D.C. Committee. Uh, I'm a member of the Post Office and Civil Service Committee. I would suggest that the most more substantive committee is probably the Energy and Commerce Committee, primarily because of the jurisdiction that uh, it holds. I'm on the energy subcommittees, both of them. I'm also on the health subcommittee. So I have a great responsibility in those committees to try to, to do things to affect the change uh, in the realm of health and in the realm of energy that will cause uh, some support, uh, will affect some support for, for our constituents. Whereas uh, historically, we've not had that much support and help in those areas. In recent weeks and months, there have been considerable controversy over the Congressional Black Caucus. Is the caucus a cohesive group of congressmen and congresswomen in fighting for injustice among minorities here in America? Uh, there's no question about the cohesiveness of the Congressional Black Caucus. We have our differences in the realm of, of uh, the caucus itself. Uh, but that's what makes us strong. We are able to meet out our differences, and we are able to challenge each other constructively with a lot of uh, uh, critical analyses of of, uh, of each other, if even sometimes to the, to to a personal uh, level. We continue to struggle with each other, but uh, in terms of where we are legislatively, in terms of what it is that we do on an issue basis. 
uh, I think they were probably the strongest caucus in the Congress, without question. And however, some, the, the media doesn't treat us that way. Um, the media tends to, to come to the Congressional Black Caucus weekend, go to the, the, the various and sundry functions that we hold there, and they highlight the the entertainment that we that we have, but uh, they don't really give us the credit for being effective legislators uh, during the time before and after the caucus weekend. They don't give uh, us credit for doing the meticulous kinds of of uh, tedious work that's necessary in order for us to to be credible legislators. All during the time that we're serving uh, in any given session. They also don't look at the, the, the work that we do back home in our districts, the, the incredible casework that's probably far beyond the casework that most of our other colleagues uh, have imposed on them. Because of the burden of, of being black in America, uh, we have a greater responsibility, and I would suggest to you that the 18 members of the Congressional Black Caucus exercise their commitments uh, by way of fulfilling that responsible responsibility to people we represent. But uh, we, we've not gotten a fair shake in black media, in the, you know, the white media, otherwise. And I think it's high time that the media uh, looked at itself and determined exactly whether or not uh, the caucus has done, or have they rather done the caucus justice in light of the, the work that we know that we do. But uh, the media is a different kind of animal. I mean, they like to challenge politicians, whoever they are, whether they're black or white or otherwise, and, and we just happen to be a bigger target. How important are civil rights organizations to the upper mobility of black politicians? Well, the civil rights organizations are, are very important to the upper mobility of black politicians. Um, black people to who want to get involved in politics because they constantly monitor and some in some periods of time less so than others for whatever reason because it, most of them are struggling for survival today but they monitor the activities of uh, the legal authority uh, of this country they monitor the institutions that uh, throw obstacles in our way to to, to progress in the political arena, whether we're just average, everyday citizens or whether we're politicians, period. And they give us a tremendous uh, resource outside the realm of the body politic. They can do things and communicate with people. They can do things that we can't do sometimes. They reach people that we can't reach. And so they become a real invaluable resource to uh, black politicians, and, and uh, we can communicate through them about uh, how it is that we need support for one issue or another, or even the, the upward mobility that you speak to. A lot of minorities are concerned with this administration about the political and social gains that were made over the last two decades. What is your current assessment of the Reagan administration? Well, the Reagan administration is obviously disastrous uh, for the gains that we've made in the last 20, 30 years as, as, as a people. And I'm truly concerned that an, not enough people in this country who are black or who are, who are people of goodwill, who care about the ethnic minorities, who have made some incremental progress in the last 20, 30 years, uh, I'm concerned that people are asleep and people are, are not really aware or praised of, of what's going on in this country and what Ronald Reagan is doing to reverse the process. And 
if in fact there is not strong opposition, excited in this country, inspired in this country, raised to Mr. Reagan's policies, in the next few years he's going to affect the kind of change that he wants that takes us back into the 19th century. Do you see a return of violence that we had in the 60s? Rebellion due to unemployment, poor housing, health care? Well, I think that people get very frustrated and depressed, and thus they re react violently. It's a matter of human nature. When a person is hungry, that person either steals or kills for food if, if that person can't get that. I would hope that, uh, that we are more rational about uh, how we approach the solutions or the adaptation to the alternatives to what Mr. Reagan is all about. I don't advocate violence at all, and, and, and I'm very hopeful and prayerful that, uh, that uh, we don't impose violence on ourselves or anybody else for that matter, that we move to peacefully negotiate for the kind of change. And that's why I hope that we can get organized and get rather disciplined and put ourselves in order to develop a crystal clear direction about where we're going in this country. The system itself is not going to take care of the poor and the desperate of our, of our society. Uh, rather, it seems that we're going to have to do it ourselves. And so we're looking for alternative means to, to, to give some hope to those folks so that they won't yield themselves to violence. I think America must be put on notice, though, that if, in fact, uh, the Reagan administration is successful, that that is a strong possibility. Is there a difference in politics black politics. About uh, 10, 12 years ago, President uh, Julius Nyerere of Tanzania stated, and this is a pan-Africanist concept, if you don't mind me alluding to it, but President Nyerere of Tanzania said, we as African people must move to destroy those lines that divide African nations. And what he was saying in that was, and he was talking to all African people, whether you're in America or West Indies or whether you're in Africa proper, he was saying that uh, we have to unify our cause. We have to deal with our common interests and our common goals. We have to pursue them uh, as a unified force with harmony, recognizing the differences in our, 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 in our differences, for that matter. But he said that, uh, to, to further quote him, he said, but we as African people must go farther than that. We must fight to remove those lines that divide humanity. I call that the philosophy of the uh, benevolent oppressed. And we have witnessed here in America some of the greatest contributions made to building this country uh, by black people uh, who didn't build or uh, help to build America for black people, but for all people. And we continue to see in the civil rights movement and in the movement today for human rights, uh, we continue to see the strongest advocates for human rights and for universal justice, congressional black caucus, legislative black caucuses, people in, the, in politics, the civil rights organizations that you talked about, continue to advocate not just for black people but for all people. So it's not a matter of black politicians or black people fighting for black people, but they're fighting for the good of all humanity, some unknowingly, some very much knowingly. The late Congressman George T. Mickey Leland. Leland died on August 7, 1989. He was 45. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions as to future In Black America programs, email us at jhanson at kut.org. 
Also, let us know what radio station you heard us over. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station or the University of Texas at Austin. You can hear previous programs online at KUT.org. Until we have the opportunity again for technical producer David Alvarez, I'm John L. Hanson, Jr. Thank you for joining us today. Please join us again next week. CD copies of this program are available and may be purchased by writing In Black America CDs, KUT Radio, One University Station, Austin, Texas, 78712. That's In Black America CDs, KUT Radio, One University Station, Austin, Texas, 78712. This has been a production of KUT Radio.